0: And we are closing out our series, God is Working in You. It's the final sermon in this three-part series, and the title of my message this afternoon is, Are You a Present-Day Epaphroditus? Now, we will be unpacking Philippians 2, verses 25 to 30, so if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you take a moment and turn there with me. I'm reading the NLT version. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was also your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that he heard that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had Mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. And so before we explore and examine these verses and explore the character, the heart of Christ demonstrated through Epaphroditus, let's remind ourselves for a moment the context with which Paul is writing this entire chapter. He's been highlighting the importance of service, commitment, sacrifice, For Christ throughout this entire book, he's been giving us lots of different examples. He's used Jesus as the ultimate and perfect example of humility and service. He's also referenced himself, Paul, not in a conceited way, but as an example. And also, he has highlighted Timothy. And so, the goal for us as we embark on our time today is to really understand the heart of Epaphroditus. I want us to remain mindful that we can identify and learn from this person's character, his heart, his attitude. And so at this point in Philippians 2, Paul introduces this man to us. Now I know what you're thinking. Who? Epaphroditus was another of Paul's disciples. He was obviously not very well known and he certainly didn't make the impact, perhaps, for the kingdom of God that Paul had made. However, this doesn't automatically mean that we should somehow dismiss or discard the influence that he did make. Here is the stark reality for us. We actually know very, very little about this man. We know nothing about his family. We know nothing about how he came to Christ. We know nothing about his conversion. We know nothing about his journey. We know nothing about his family. We know nothing about his theology. We know nothing about his friends. We know very, very little. In fact, this man is referenced only twice in Scripture, here in Philippians 2, And then Paul gives him a mention of thanks in Philippians 4. There is absolutely no evidence presented to us that he accomplished anything outstanding or even noteworthy for the kingdom of God. And yet Paul here highlights his integrity, his heart, his character, and his attitude. Now, I don't know where you sit or you stand this afternoon, but I find that particularly affirming and reassuring that Paul is now essentially advertising somebody, a nobody, an unsung hero, if you like, of the faith as an example of humility in our lives. He was not a popular Christian pastor. He wasn't the latest preacher for the Name It and Claim It ministries. He wasn't um, in any way the latest worship leader with a fantastic album. He doesn't have two or three books of the New Testament written him. He's just your average Joe, as the Americans would say. And Paul, like us, has acknowledged that Christ is the greatest example of Christian commitment. Now, we all know that we will probably never attain Christ's example. Perhaps we could lower our sights this afternoon and think, well, you know, maybe I could reach Paul's example. Well, I doubt many of us will go through what Paul went through, so maybe we have to lower our sight a little bit further. Well, I would like to think that Paul has given in us, in Epaphroditus, a fantastic and exemplary example of genuine humility, genuine service and sacrifice. This should be affirming to us. He was an ordinary man, just like you and I, and yet somewhere, somehow, he made a telling impact. And so verse 25, Paul starts to unpack the motivation in his heart for choosing to send Epaphroditus back by illuminating and highlighting to us the value that he possessed. He's very, very clear here that Paul had no desire for us to have any negative thinking about this man. He wanted to make it very clear that there was no deficiencies, that there was no weaknesses, there was no shortcomings in the heart of this man. He speaks very, very highly of him. He has a desire to showcase the quality and the integrity and the value that Epaphroditus demonstrated in his service and sacrifice to Christ. And so Paul starts this conversation by telling us that he chose to send him back because he thought that it was necessary to do. Well, that would indicate to us, perhaps, that Paul himself didn't want to send him back. But Paul recognized something. Paul recognized that there was a greater need than his own need. He recognized that actually the church at Philippi needed to see their servant and for the reasons that we will explore in a moment. He recognized Epaphroditus in his own heart, and mine probably wanted to go and see them for the reasons that we will see in a moment. And yet Paul, perhaps in his own thinking, decided, well, you know, I, I should send him back, even if he didn't agree with it in his own heart. Paul recognized that there was a greater need, and he chose to submit to that. And so my first question for us this afternoon is, do we do that? Do we recognize that there's a need perhaps greater than some of the things that we go through? And do we submit to that? Because it's quite clear that they wanted to see each other. The church at Philippi wanted to see Epaphroditus. And so Paul then gives us three clear defined titles to describe this great man. And each of these titles define and unveil a different part of his heart and his character not only in his heart and character, but ultimately in his wider ministry. He calls him, first of all, a true brother. Well, praise God. I'm a twin. I've got a twin brother, and he's wonderful, and I love him, and he loves me. But Paul, at this point, is going far beyond physical family. He's going into our church family, the spiritual family, in the body of Christ. And so this goes beyond us acknowledging one another as believers in the body of Christ, there's a depth, there's an intimacy, there's a, there's a sense of mutual trust, a commonality of heart that Paul is trying to highlight as he reinforces the value of Epaphroditus to us. And he holds him in high regard. And I think that's very important for us as we go on a journey, that we ultimately need to encourage one another and ultimately hold one another in high regard. He can see very clearly here that there's a, a friendship that's steeped in trust in motivation for godly things and urgency for sharing the gospel and ultimately of service to God together. Now we know, don't we, okay, on occasions if we forget somebody's name in the church we call them, oh this is, this is brother so and so, if we forget their name and we can use that as a bit of a label. But Paul is actually taking it a step further and saying, no, this is someone you need to have confidence in. This is someone who's got my heart. This is someone who's got my integrity. This is someone who carries something fresh for the kingdom. And I think that's so important for us on our journey that we recognize the gifts, the talent, the ability that God has placed in each and every one of our hearts. And ultimately, we are many members, but we are one body called together for corporate service to God and to his kingdom. He then gives him a second title, co-worker. Now, this demonstrates the nature of the relationship that they shared. Epaphroditus has been sent out on behalf of Paul to serve the wider body of Christ. He's been successful in that. They forged a partnership in ministry. That's growing and that's flourishing. But there's an affection of trust and intimacy that's attached to it. Now, it's not co-worker in the sense that, you know, the person that you sit opposite in your desk, at your desk at work, that's a coworker. that's somebody that's working in the same company or the same organization as you, but we don't ultimately get to choose who those people are for, for most of us. Those are chosen by people in authority. No, these, this uh, version that Paul is using here, this word that Paul is using in terms of co-worker, is connected to the fact that he recognized that Epaphroditus was prepared to labor, For the things of the kingdom he was at the point of death he's probably in Rome in a prison at this point and we're very very clear that Epaphroditus was prepared to walk the walk that God had called him to he was prepared to pay the price he had conviction in his heart it seems that a lot of what Paul was doing Epaphroditus has subsequently done as well and then the third and final title that he gives him fellow soldier Similar words that Paul uses when speaking to Timothy, but he calls him a fellow soldier. That's a title that comes out of a a common struggle in working, in laboring, in sharing in the things of God as God's army against the common enemy. He's willing to do whatever Paul did. He's willing to go wherever Paul sent him. Good soldiers will always take orders. They will always be obedient. They will always stand up for each other and they will always fight the good fight of faith. Are we a fellow soldier of Christ today? Do we look out for our brother, for our sister in the body of Christ the way that Paul is saying that Epaphroditus was doing at that time? Do we stand in the gap in times of trial and struggle or do we just give people titles but don't actually substantiate the effort? Clearly this man has shown great value to Paul. It's the highest title, I would think, of Christian heart. And commitment. He could call him that because Epaphroditus was strong, he was obedient, he was trained, he was ready to serve, and he was willing to serve. And Paul, we know as well, was a great soldier for Jesus Christ. But here's the other element for us to consider. There's no evidence that any of these titles that Paul has given Epaphroditus had any measurement, any bearing on Epaphroditus' subsequent ministry. It seems that the greatest Uh, uh, title, if you like, that Paul ascribes Epaphroditus in this portion is that he was a messenger for me when we were in need. And so actually, the greatest uh, comment that we could make about this man ultimately is not that he was a co-laborer, not that he was a true brother, not that he was a fellow soldier, but he was a faithful servant for the cause of Christ. Perhaps Epaphroditus had conviction in his heart about what Paul had called him to do, and he did it willingly to the point nearly of death. The titles played a distant second in the heart and the life of this man. And this provokes a question for us this afternoon. Honestly, where are you today? Do you genuinely believe that you can make a lasting impact and influence in the kingdom. Perhaps you're thinking, well, you know, I'm a bit like you, Scott. You know, I um, don't have titles. I'm just an ordinary man. I'm just trying to love God. I'm trying to walk my journey with Jesus with integrity and righteousness and purity and, and honesty. I want to see the kingdom come on earth. I want to see the souls saved. I want to see heaven ultimately as my final destination And perhaps you're thinking, well, you know, I don't have these titles, I don't have these roles, I don't think I do, so there's nothing I can do, right? What's the point? No, wrong. Take a long, hard look at Epaphroditus. At surface level, there's nothing special about him. And if we frame him against Paul, he doesn't stand up. We frame him against Timothy, he doesn't stand up. Does that discourage or demotivate him? Nope. He was undeterred. He was relentless, committed, sold out to the plan and the purpose of God in his life. Are you? It's a question that provokes an answer and an answer that will lead you to action or inaction in your walk with Christ. Remember the genuine, the authentic work of the gospel is always completed by the faithful few, not the fleeting followers. And so are you prepared to fulfill that call over your life today where you find yourself? So why was Paul sending him back? Well, it's pretty clear that Epaphroditus was motivated to see his friends, the church at Philippi, at that time. But the reason is very, very sobering and very, very humbling for us as we ruminate and reflect on the actual reasons why. The man had become aware of the fact that his congregation had become aware of the fact that he was gravely ill. Now, It might be a bit of a surprise for you, but he wasn't just ill. It wasn't a sniffle or a cough. It wasn't just, you know, he's feeling tired today. Now, we don't know what the actual sickness was, but we know that it was severe enough that it could have killed him. It was close to killing him. We cannot underestimate the significance of it. Now, imagine this. This is the heart of a pastor. Paul tells us that what perturbed and concerned Epaphroditus was not that he himself was perilously sick, but that the church at Philippi were distressed and upset about him being sick. Imagine that for a moment. You yourself desperately unwell, close to death. But all you are concerned about is how your friends are and their response to your sickness. The depth, the richness, the sincerity of his love for the people is simply outstanding. And so his goal is simple. Go And visit them. In doing that, he would have brought a huge measure of relief to their distress and their turmoil. He wanted to encourage and comfort them. Clearly, he had an emerging testimony to share with them because God had been merciful to him in bringing back his health. Paul even remarks that this mercy, in and of itself, was significant because without God's demonstration of that, Paul recognized he would have had sorrow upon sorrow. However, I think it's also important there's a fair likelihood that Paul had a motivation in his own heart for him to go. He knew that the church at Philippi would celebrate, would rejoice, give thanks when they saw Epaphroditus. Just seeing him would seemingly eradicate the distress, the concern, the pain. Consider someone in your life today that you know and you deeply love. Imagine that you hear that they're sick, potentially at death's door. You become anxious, fearful, worried about the impending potential outcome. Now surprisingly you might find this shocking but they didn't have FaceTime and WhatsApp (laughs) and social media accounts to keep up to date with people's health and what was going on in people's lives in that time and so when a message was sent it could take days, weeks, even months to reach the intended recipients. And we live in the digital 21st century age where information is everything. Data is available to us all the time. And yet I want us to consider how we would feel if we knew someone that was sick or unwell in our own lives. We got word today and then this evening, they're standing outside your house. How would you feel? You would be super encouraged. You would, all the emotions would dissipate. The fear would evaporate, the concerns, would subside. Everything would manifest in joy in that moment. Why? Because you've seen God's mercy over that person's life. You would celebrate and you would rejoice. And so how ultimately are we to treat somebody of this caliber? Well, verse 29 and 30 inform us. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy. Give him The honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing it for me, what you couldn't do from far away. I believe these verses here capture and define how courageous and how committed Epaphroditus was. He put his life on the line time and again for the advancement of the gospel. And now Paul is telling us how we should treat someone like that. He seems to set two expectations that seem to emerge. The first is that we should honour him. That's the very definition of selfless, sacrificial joy in our lives with God. So if we're to honour someone, we should recognise the risk that someone's gone through. We should recognise the challenges that people have gone through. We should recognize where people are finding issues in different parts of their lives and they are still choosing to fight the good fight of faith. When everything in them says give up, when everything in them says it's time to surrender, it's time to stop serving Jesus, they keep finding a way. They keep on keeping on. Why? Because they know ultimately that God is with them. That the call and the plan and the purpose of God is greater than themselves. That God's heart for them is that they would prosper. They would fulfill that mandate. And I want to ask us a question this afternoon. Do we have that same level of conviction in our own hearts, in our own lives? Because, you know, when the going gets tough, it's the tough that get going. It's the robust. It's the strong. It's the rooted, the mature, the established believers that get going. We don't see problems or obstacles We see potential and possibilities. We choose to stand in the gap. We choose to be an overcomer. That's our portion. That's who God has called us to be. Amen? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. These are not just sound bites. This is the living word of God that we are reading and understanding this afternoon. But he also tells them, Receive him with all joy. They were to welcome him back and rejoice. Any disappointment should go in that moment. And perhaps you're disappointed this afternoon. Perhaps 2020 hasn't fulfilled what you wanted it to fulfill. There's some dreams that haven't manifested. There's some goals that have been potentially blocked. There's some ambition that's been eroded because of the year that we find ourselves in. How are you choosing your heart response? What's your heart attitude today? Does your character manifest the joy of the Lord in every season of your life or just in the moments where things are going well? Remember, this man was almost at death's door. At any point, he could have gone, and yet he still soldiered on. He still battled through. He still developed resilience, robustness, perseverance, tenacity, courage, boldness. All the qualities that we see Paul demonstrating, this man demonstrated in his life. At this point, he was close to death. He risked his life specifically because Paul had called him to. He laid down his life. He laid his life on the line in service for God. You know why? Because he thought more about the needs of others than his own needs. He had honoured God The church that had sent him out, he had fulfilled the responsibilities that God had called him to. And it caused him to be ill to the point of death. Conviction. Clarity. Confidence. That's what this man demonstrated. Now for us today, we have to recognize that there are those demonstrating that. Those that fulfill similar roles. Across the nations, we know there are countless believers continually and willingly stepping into the gap and serving the Lord under immense threats of harm and persecution. Perhaps they've even got a measure of the understanding of those risks. Maybe they don't. Either way, they've still chosen to serve. You could look at the security forces of this nation, the police, MI5, MI6, and it goes beyond that. We could look at the Ambulance, we can look at the doctors that serve in the hospitals, we can look at firefighters. But now we can go a step further, away from the Western world. Perhaps we can look at those serving as pastors, as leaders in underground churches in China, those that are smuggling Bibles across countries in North Africa, in the Middle East, taking immense risks for the furtherance of the gospel Maybe they've counted the cost of what it is to serve Christ. Maybe they've got a deep conviction in their own heart of what they are called to do, but we should honour them. We should think about the Muslim background believers that have come to faith, and we should pray for them. We should uphold them. They have willingly and consistently put themselves in harm's way. They deserve our respect. They deserve our honour, and they deserve our fervent prayers. In somehow, in some way, in their own way, They are humbly submitting and honoring God by fulfilling what they sense and feel is the call of God on their lives. They don't have their own TV channels. Their books don't fill the shelves of Christian bookstores. They're faceless, they're nameless people. People that we will never probably meet until we get to glory ourselves. And here's the reality. Romans tells us that they are as much a minister of God as anyone that preaches the gospel on any church platform anywhere in the world. And therefore, they deserve our honor. And so the evidence, friends, as we draw our time to a close this afternoon, is conclusive. Epaphroditus lived a life of utmost dedication and commitment. His life was seasoned by the grace of God, and he demonstrated what a heart sold out for the needs of others looked like, far, far, far ahead of his own. I wonder if we can begin to live like that this afternoon. Are we prepared to be an undercover hero for the gospel? Are we happy for our name really to get mentioned? Our efforts for Christ confined perhaps to a few chapters of somebody's autobiography at some point. He wholeheartedly fulfilled the mission God had given him. To the point that the pinnacle was him risking his own life in honour and service to God. I wonder if we will reach that point in our own lives and in our own ministries. But it provokes a few questions for us to consider this afternoon. What is your heart set on? Will you subscribe to the heart, the focus that Epaphroditus demonstrated? Do you know every time you reach out, every time you minister in God's name, you put yourself at risk. You put yourself at risk by being Misrepresented, misunderstood, misinterpreted. Does that cause us to recoil? Does that cause us to shrink away from being a servant of God? The list of possibilities is endless. And yet, the hazards, the risks should not diminish our appetite. To put ourselves out there, to put our life on the line. We cannot allow our hearts to settle for compromise, comfort, or complacency. If we want to extend the kingdom of God, we have to take risks. Measured risks, I believe, but risks nevertheless. And so are you willing to risk in your service to God? And what are you willing to risk? I can give you a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon if you need me to help out with something, Scott. No, 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 no. It's got to go far, far beyond that. Our whole life has to be given over to God. Everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think about has to be on the furtherance of the kingdom. And we've got to be prepared to pay the price. We can't just talk the talk. We've got to walk the walk. 2020 has proven that for Christians. If ever there's been a year for that, The evidence is irrevocable. It's in front of us. It's conclusive in every part of our lives. Are we prepared to follow the example of Timothy, Paul, Epaphroditus, different men with different hearts, personalities, and gifts, but they were all used by God because they had chosen to set their compass on serving the Lord Jesus Christ, irrespective of the cost. And the reality is they may not even have known the cost. They still chose to do it. And so sometimes if you can't see God's hand in your life, you can still trust his heart. But maybe they knew the cost and they were like, I'm happy to pay it. Are we happy to pay the cost of serving Jesus? Or are we only happy to a point until it becomes uncomfortable, until it becomes inconvenient? That's not us fulfilling the call of God on our lives. Some final thoughts. What example will you leave? What are the priorities that you have set in your life, will they bring in eternal reward or just temporary fleeting moments of satisfaction here on this earth? Let me tell you this. God wants to use you for his glory. Amen. I can hear the amens from KT. But here's also the reality. There's a very, very good chance that we will be like Epaphroditus. It's going to cost us everything. Everything. We could get sick to the point of death. We may need to rely on, we will need to rely on, the mercy of God. But we will carry a conviction in our hearts. Our names won't appear on blogs. We won't be referenced by the uh, popular pastors and preachers of the day. Many millions of people won't even know our name. But our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God sees, God knows, and great will our reward be in heaven because we've chosen to pick up our cross, follow Jesus, decide in our hearts that we can be Epaphroditus. We can have a couple of lines reserved for us in the book, and that's enough because we're not self-seeking. We're not self-satisfying. We're fulfilling the call, the mandate, the plan, the purpose that God has given us in our lives and I pray today that you will be a present day Epaphroditus in Jesus precious name amen and amen